Here at Doxadea Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, hello and welcome to our second part of our series through the book of Ephesians uh, as we study this wonderful letter uh, together. Uh, I trust and pray that uh, this passage of scripture that we are studying now uh, will truly speak to you and that you'll discover it in more depth as you study it uh, on your own time. I want to start off by telling you a quick story about a man with the name Hiru Onoda or Hiru Onoda. Uh, he was a Japanese intelligence officer that was deployed to the Philippines in the Second World War. And uh, he was uh, in his post uh, in the Philippines. But then in 1945, in August, the Second World War came to an end. But when it was October of that year, him and his men were still in the mountains on their post. And then they came into one of the local villages and they saw one of a, a leaflet or a pamphlet um, that said that the war is over. The war is finished. But they concluded that this is propaganda from the allied forces. And so this is just a tactic from the enemy. And so they went back into the mountains and they remained at their post. They did not know that the war was over. Someone tried to tell them, but they didn't know it. They didn't believe it. Five years later, one of the men... Uh, start, uh, decided to surrender or maybe just trust, you know, uh, the pamphlet he saw five years ago. And uh, he, he surrendered. And then the rest of them stayed for another two years until 1952, when they actually sent over some airplanes and dropped some packages because these guys were hiding in the mountains. So they dropped some packages in the hope that they will find it with some letters and photos from their families to convince them that the war is over. So seven years after the war, the men still concluded that this was a trick played by the enemy. And so Hiru Onoda stayed in the mountains because he did not know that the war was over. This actually, sadly, went on for 29 years. And only in 1974, they sent his commanding officer. They finally found the man. Someone was looking for him. They found him. And they sent his commanding officer to relieve him of his duties. Now, the point I want to make with this story is sometimes the war is long gone and over. But we are still stuck in the mountains because we don't know that it's over. We, we don't know it. We don't believe it. And sometimes for us as Christians... I think it's the same way. Sometimes we are stuck in the mountains and, and there's nothing that God still needs to do for us. He's already won the victory on our behalf. He's already given us access to, to not only to himself, but to his power. But because we do not know it, we are stuck in the mountains. This passage of scripture is about Christian maturity. Paul is praying for the Ephesians and he is praying that they would come to more maturity, that they would grow in their Christian maturity, as we are also called to grow in our Christianity and become more mature. And the key that Paul gives us in terms of how do you become more mature as a Christian is in the knowing. Maybe you can think quickly about some of the friends you have or family members that you have that you consider as people that are, are mature. Uh, some very mature Christians that, that you know. 
I can think of, of a friend, actually a number of friends that, that are really mature in the way that they pray for other people. Uh, uh, oftentimes I find myself in a conversation, then, then one person will say, you know, things are really tough with them. And then all of us will say, you know, that's really bad and encourage them, maybe with a scripture or something like that, or just, you know, tap them on the shoulder and say, they're there. I uh, hope it gets better soon. And they say, but, but we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. And then the conversation ends and we leave. But I've got some friends that in a conversation like that, right there and then, they'll stop the conversation and say, can we just quickly pray for you? And then they say, Lord Jesus, and they start speaking to God for and on behalf of this man standing in front of them. And it's, for me, I look at that and it's like, wow, the liberty they have to just like go into the presence of God in conversation with God. That is a sign of Christian maturity for me. Let me ask you this question. Someone that speaks to God in that way, that just in a, in, a, in, a, in a moment, they can start praying to God. Someone that can do that, that is that mature in their faith, are they special in any way? Are they more holy that they just, you know, uh, feel more comfortable in the presence of God, speaking to God, than you and I? No. The difference in maturity is in the knowing. It's just the fact that they know, someone like that, they know that they've got access to the Father at any moment during the day. And any conversation, they can just call out to their Father because they know that He is there and He hears them. It's, the difference is in the knowing. Another example is uh, there's a, a man I know about. His name is Um Hannes. Uh, he's this farmer, and together with some other farmers in the Fixburg area, um, in the Free State, uh, these guys decided, they, they, I mean, they were, they were convicted by God, and in their, their knowing who God is, they came to a place where they decided that they're going to give up their farming businesses, and they're going to consolidate it into this business, and this business belongs to God. And so they decided they are no longer going to be owners of their own business. They give the business away and they are only going to be like workers in that business. And the business or the fund, they, they call it Missio Dei, which means the mission of God. Now that is so amazing for me. Um, and, and, and you hear the stories that when this company, that the, all of them are working for voluntarily, that they, they gave up, when this company makes profit, they don't just divide the profits between them as if they are the owners. The profits get used into the community, for the community. They, they've started a school, they've started a clinic. Uh, and the point is that, that this, this company belongs to God and all of them work for that. They understand that they are not owners, they are merely stewards. And if you listen to that story, you think, wow, that is mature. That is a mature Christian. Let me ask you this question. Is someone like Wimanus special in any way? What's the difference between maybe just the normal Christian and, and those farmers that have done that? You know what the difference is? It's not like they've got, they've got you know, more access to God or that God has told them some kind of secret that He hasn't told us. The difference is in the knowing. The difference is in the, they know who God is. They know what the heart of God is. and They know what the mission of God is. So much so that they've decided to restructure their lives uh, in accordance with this mission of God. I think about many other people. I think about Christians you might know that you, you consider them as powerful Christians. People that walk in the power of God. Uh, maybe a, a household name is Angus Buchan. Um, Angus Buchan in South Africa, we all know him. Uh, when he gets up on that stage, he preaches. People just come to salvation. People get healed. There's something of the power of God that he taps into. 
you ask yourself the question, I think the mistake we make is we think, well, that, he's special. It's Angus. I mean, it's um, Angus, he knows how to speak to God. But no, he's not special. It's not like God said, listen, to you I'll give more of my power than what I'll give to Abel or wherever you are watching now. No, God has already done it. He's given us his power. But some people are more mature in the way that they tap into that. They, they, they know what this power is that God has given them. The difference, the, the maturity lies in the knowing, knowing, not knowing about, but really understanding and stepping into it. You see, the point I want to make is that mature Christians are not better. Mature Christians just know better. Mature Christians are not better. They just know better. They live in the reality of the resurrected Christ Jesus. They live in the, the fact that this is real, that Jesus is risen and he is alive inside of us. You see, God has done it all. The war is finished. The victory is won. The power is available to us. We just need to know about it. And when I say know about it, I speak step into it. I mean step into it. So this passage is about maturity. And uh, from I want to read from verse 17 or in, in verse 16, Paul is busy saying, I'm, I'm praying for you guys. And then in verse 17 says, My prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So, so he's saying, listen, I know, I know about the fact that you are strong in your faith and strong in the fact that you love one another, but I'm going to pray for even more maturity. And so I pray that God would give you wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Another translation says, having the eyes of your understanding enlightened. Like, what is the eyes of your understanding? It means to not only comprehend something, not only understand something, but to know it. To really know it in a way that you, you, you step into it and that it's a reality in your life. That you may know. And then he lists three things that he wants us to know and grow in our maturity in the way that we understand and know it. But just quickly speaking about the things he mentioned there, growing in our, our, our wisdom, that God would give us wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I'm reminded of the prayer that Jesus says uh, when he's praying for his disciples in John chapter 17. Um, he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so Jesus is saying, you know what it's all about? He's praying that for his disciples, that they may know God. That they may have a deep knowledge of who God is and also who the one is that God has sent, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is saying knowing, he's not saying just knowing about, but knowing intimately in such a way that it changes the way that we actually walk. So this is the prayer that Jesus also gives. And uh, when it comes to this word knowing, there's knowing and then there's, there's knowing. <laughs> there's knowing and then there's knowing. You see, wisdom, let me tell you, the, the, the main difference between knowledge and wisdom is the following. Knowledge is the information you have learned, while wisdom is the ability to use that knowledge in a profound way. Knowledge is what we learn. Wisdom is that we can use what we've learned in a way that we actually uh, do something with it, that we step into it, that we live it. That's where wisdom is. Christian maturity is not only knowing about Jesus, but it's when Jesus becomes a reality in your life in the way that you walk. Revelation. 
the second thing that, that Paul is, is praying for is revelation. Sometimes uh, we think revelation is this, this mystical or very spiritual term, right? Um, revelation, quite simply, is, is an applicable understanding of something. And if you understand or know something in such a way that you apply it in your life, that is revelation. Revelation is when knowledge has happened to you in such a way that it's changed you. That is the knowing that the Bible is speaking about. If, if you want to mature in your Christianity, you need to allow the knowledge of God to come and change you so that that could be applied in your life. There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing Him. Knowing about God and knowing God. There's a difference between the two. Sometimes so many of us are very good at we know about God, but we don't know Him personally that much. And knowing God, that, that's, that is usually seen in the fruits. I can give you an example. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of golf, right? I love golf. So, so one of the superstars of golf is Tiger Woods. You probably recognize the name, Tiger Woods. Uh, we all know about Tiger Woods. I know a little bit more about Tiger Woods. But I don't know Tiger Woods. I know my wife. And my wife knows me. You know what the difference is? I know about Tiger Woods. But knowing him has no impact in my life. But I know my wife. And knowing my wife has a deep impact in my life. A deep impact in my life. The difference is it is an experiential knowledge of someone. The knowledge that Paul is calling us to, or praying for us that we, we understand, is not knowing about God, but that we have an experiential knowledge of who he is. And then Paul goes on and he says that we, we may really know uh, these three things. Um, and he says, uh, know what is the, the, the hope to which he has called you. And also know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then thirdly, know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And so he mentions the, these are the three things that, that he wants us to grow in terms of our knowledge. The, the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And the third one, the immeasurable greatness of this power um, toward us who believe. He gets really excited about that. And he says the most about that one. So we want to spend a bit more time uh, on that one. But just real quick, the first one is now what is the hope to which he has called you? As he speaks to the Ephesians and he starts off by praying, says, I heard about your faith. I've heard about your love. Now, remember, faith and love, these are marks of Christianity, right? And so as I know the fact that you, I've heard about the fact that you, you, you believe in Jesus and you've put your faith in God in that way. And also that you love one another. But I pray for more maturity. And then he speaks about the hope of the calling, the hope of his calling. So verse 15, he speaks about the faith in the Lord Jesus and of the love toward the state, uh, saints. And then verse 18, he speaks about the, the hope. And this language, this, this, these three concepts of uh, faith, love, and hope, uh, even in Doxodeo, we believe that as a Christian, you are called to not only have faith in Christ, but you're also called to love the people around you. And you are also called to, to live out the, the, this calling in accordance to the hope that we have that Christ will restore all things uh, back to its original design once again. 
that's what we also believe in terms of our maturity. And, and Paul writes this in many other places. In the book of Colossians, he starts off when he says in verse, 40, uh, verse 4, um, Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints uh, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In 1 Thessalonians, he speaks um, in 1 Thessalonians 1 uh, verse 3, he speaks about the work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it seems like all these three concepts are important. And he's putting emphasis on the hope of his calling. A little bit earlier, Adani, uh, in the first session, uh, he read uh, the first part. And I want to quickly refer back to that because uh, we might ask the question, what is the hope of his calling? Right? What is that about? And if we quickly rewind to verse 9 and 10 and read that together, um, it speaks about making known to us the mystery of his will. So, so what is this calling of God, the mystery of his, his will, uh, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And listen to this. This is the call of God to unite all things in him, to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. So speaking about Jesus, that this is the, the work of Jesus to unite all things in him. All things means all things. It's not only people, but it's restoring everything that is broken in this world of ours. That's the call of God. You see, there's this calling of God over humanity. God is calling humanity and this planet even because there will be a restoration of nature also. If you go read Revelation, the end of Revelation. Uh, so, so this restoration of all things. This is the call of God on humanity. And if you want to know what your calling in life is, your calling is the calling of God. The calling of God is the calling of humanity to restore all things. And we, that is our job. That is our calling in this life, is the restoration of all things. That is our calling in general. But if you want to know what is your calling in detail, it is looking at your life, your, your, your opportunities, your talents, the gifts that God has given you in terms of making this calling of God a bigger reality. It is being part, a, a co-laborer with God in this call of His to restore all things back to Him. But the hope of His calling means that we know for certain this will happen. It has already started, it will be completed, and we are laboring in that direction. That is the hope of His calling. You see, the word hope, uh, we sometimes use it in a way that we say, I wish this, this would happen. I hope to see my parents this week. You know, then it's something that, that could happen or could not happen. But the hope that the Bible speaks about is knowing for certain. That's when you order something on Take-A-Lot, you've already made the payment, and now you're just waiting for the delivery. That's the same thing. What God has done in Jesus Christ, the work that He has finished, the payment has already been made. But in some ways, we are still waiting for the delivery to come. But knowing this, it gives us a confidence to labor in a new way. And how do I walk? How do I live out this? How do I know the hope of this calling? As if I truly know it, if I really believe this with certainty, I will restructure my life to be aligned with the call of God on humanity. Then my life will no longer be about my dreams, but it will be about the call of God on this planet. A planet. That, that, that's what I'm going to labor for in this world. So the question to all of us is, what am I living for? What am I living for? 
The second one is know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now you see, with the death of Jesus, there was an inheritance for us. We inherited God. Jesus gave us free access to the Father. So the inheritance we have in Jesus Christ is free access that we can enter the throne room of, 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 of heaven with boldness. That is what we inherit in Jesus Christ. But it's also the other way around. It's the inheritance, uh, it is the inheritance in the saints. Do you know that you are also the inheritance of God, that God gets? Through the death of Jesus, the work that Jesus has done, God has also inherited us. That's why I love saying this prayer to God, saying, God, I am yours and you are mine. I am yours and you are mine because we inherited one another. That is our inheritance. Now, what does it mean to know this? What does it mean when Paul says to you that we grow in, in, in maturity in terms of knowing the inheritance that we have in God? You see, a mature Christian does not doubt his own salvation. A mature Christian is not always feeling sorry before God and always asking for forgiveness of his sins as if, if you've already done it, that you do it like every day again. A mature Christian knows that if Jesus has forgiven you, that you are no longer a sinner. A mature Christian knows that you can enter at any moment, any given time during the day, you can enter with boldness and with assurance into the throne room of heaven because you know the inheritance that you have through Christ Jesus. Maturity is knowing it and then living in the inheritance, speaking to God because you know that God is yours. You've inherited him as your God and you also belong to him as he has inherited you. And then the last one, that we may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power this is so important when it speaks about the power of God that we can actually tap in. Mature Christians, they tap into the power that God has for us, that he has given. It's resurrection power that God has for us. They tap into that. But they understand it's not because they are special. It is not their power. The scripture makes it clear. And what, uh, to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places you see the greatest power in the world is death the thing that everyone's afraid of is death I mean that is why something like a hurricane or the atom bomb is scary because it, it brings destruction it has the power of death as soon as something has the power of death it is strong but there's only one power that is greater than the power of death, and that is the power of resurrection. It's the power to, to bring life. It's one thing to kill life, but there's only one that can bring life, and his name is God. I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but, but how do you measure the godliness of something, right? So even if you look at a, a person, even just a, a mature Christian, how do you measure the godliness or just of something, whether it's divine or not? How do you measure that? You don't measure it in, in kilograms, right? Uh, you don't measure it in, in Newton power or in, in volts, right? How do you measure godliness or divinity? You measure it in resurrection power. 
You measure it in resurrection power. That's how you know that something's truly from God. If it is stronger than death itself. Now with my boys, uh, I love teaching them about the resurrection. Whenever we, I think they know more about the resurrection than what they know about the cross. Uh, they're still young. So obviously you need to understand fully the cross and its implication as well as the resurrection and the implications, both of those. But they get really excited about the, the resurrection, right? And so it, it was Easter not long ago and we would read the little book on Easter. I've got this nice storybook that I'd read to them. And every time I get to um, the death of Jesus on the cross when Jesus dies, but then obviously there's a couple of pages still left after that. But every time I get to that and I, and I tell them, I look at them, I say, oh, Jesus died. They killed Jesus. And then I say, oh, man, that's so sad. Oh, is, is that the end of the story? And then I start closing the book. And then both of them are like, no, 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 no. It's not the end of the story. No, no. And then they, they laugh at me and they say, no, no, it's not done because he still wakes up. And then we and I say, wait, is it, is it not finished yet? It's not finished yet. And then we read on in this little book. And uh, the way they explain it is that they put Jesus in a cave because the grave looked like a cave on the pictures. And they put this big rock in front of this cave. And then the cave was rolled away and Jesus walks out. The end. <laughs> that is the story that happens. And they love that story. I mean, my, my one boy, Caleb, is always asking, but, but Jesus only was, he was only sleeping, right? And then I tell him, no, no, my boy. He wasn't sleeping. He was dead. He was dead, dead, dead. He rose from the dead. They cannot kill Jesus. That's how strong Jesus is. And then I give them my version. I mean, uh, obviously Easter, we read them this like, you know, every evening for a week. So I gave them my version of the resurrection story. And it goes something like this. As they killed Jesus, they thought they're going to get him. And then they put him into that cave, that, that, that grave that you guys are speaking about. They put this big rock in front of it. No one can move the rock. One man cannot move that rock. But then on the third day, Jesus goes to the rock. He throws the rock to the side and he stands at the entrance of the cave. Ah, that's my Jesus. And they love it. Their eyes are big and they laugh. They've got a picture of how big Jesus is. Jesus is strong. He's stronger than death. But you know what is difficult? I've taught this to them. This is something important we need to understand. Just how strong Jesus is. Just how strong the power is that God raised Jesus from the dead. But you know what Paul is busy speaking about? He's speaking about Christian maturity. What I haven't been able to teach my boys and what I struggle with personally is believing that that power, ah, that power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you and me. That that power is, has already worked in me when it, it rose me from spiritual death and that that power is busy working in me still today and that when I face troubles, that I've got that power, I've got access to that power, that I know about that power in my life and that I start walking in that power. That is difficult. I haven't been able to teach that to my kids and I'm struggling to grasp it myself. But that's what Paul is busy praying for us. That we might know, that we might know this amazing power that is working in us. The same power. We've got access to this power. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead. You see, knowing this is living in it. Knowing it is living in it. My prayer for you today 
is that you would come to understand and know this power that you would know this, this, this inheritance that we have, that, that we've got freedom and liberty to just walk into our Father's living room and to walk into the, the most holy place, which is our Father's living room, because we've got free access. That we might know this, this hope of His calling, that we are just waiting for the delivery of all things to be restored in this world. Maybe you are at a place where you are facing some challenges. Um, and uh, maybe you feel a bit discouraged. I want to encourage you with this, what Paul is busy teaching us about this resurrection power that we've got access to. Maybe you're struggling with a sin. You need to know that you are no longer a victim, that you've got access to this power and you are more than a conqueror. We are more than conquerors, the book of Romans teaches us. Maybe if you're experiencing difficulty at your place of work, you've got power that enables us to persevere in those difficult situations. Maybe there's something that God has called you to that, that you want to build in this life. But there's opposition. It's not easy. If that's the case, fight back because you've got power in you also. You've got the, the access to this power of God to build the kingdom of God in your life. To do what God has called you to do. Knowing it is living it. And stepping into it. If that is you, if you are facing challenge, I want us to end off. I want to pray for you. Um, and uh, uh, as we pray together, actually, we want to do a confession. So I want to read this, this verse uh, 18 or 19 and 20. And instead of saying us, I want to say I. And I want to invite you to read it with me uh, as a statement, as a declaration that we know that this power is available to us and we want to start walking in it because spiritual maturity means to live in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. It means to live in that reality, not only know about it, but to actually start living in that reality. Let's read this together and confess this together in prayer um, and, and start stepping into this maturity that God has for us. I know what the immeasurable greatness of His power toward me who believes according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Lord Jesus, this is our prayer, that we might know this, that we might know the access that we have in You, Jesus, that we might know this power that You have already worked in us to bring us to You, but also this power that You will not seize working in us and through us. In Jesus' name, bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.